Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. Open your Bibles, 1 John chapter 5. We're in the last chapter of 1 John. It won't be long. We'll be done out of this study. I want to begin reading in verse 1. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the son of God? Man boarded a plane, one of those long flights where they serve you a meal. Flight attendant asked him, would you like dinner, sir? He said, what are my choices? And she said, yes or no. (laughs) When it comes to God, those are the two choices you have. Yes or no. A lot of the decisions that you major on in your life affect so much, such as the school you attend, the person you marry, the profession that you follow, the positions that you accept, but there's no decision that is as wide, has as much widespread influence on our life as the decision based on Jesus Christ and whether you know him or not. Now, if I were to ask you a hard question such as, have you ever been born what would you say? Well, that's a stupid question. How do you know you've been born? They asked Will Rogers one time when he was applying for a passport. They said, sir, you have to have a birth certificate to apply for a passport. And he said, well, how come? They said, to prove that you were born. And he said, well, I'm here, ain't I? (laughs) Obviously, all of you have been born. And, you know, there are certain characteristics that you may have inherited from your parents or grandparents, your eye color, hair color, size of frame, whatever it might be. There are certain indications that you may have come from a certain family. But there are a lot of people who are not sure or they have not been born spiritually. When you have a spiritual birth, you're going to have some characteristics, birthmarks, I guess you would say, as a child of God. By now, you've probably become familiar, if you've been here several times while we've been going through 1 John, that John's in his 90s, writing to a second and third generation Christians. Never, those folks had never seen Jesus. John had seen him and walked with him. And now this church is being bombarded by heresy. Either Jesus did not come in the flesh, or he was not God, or a lot of combinations in between. And they were also saying, unless you've achieved a certain knowledge, that you're a nobody in this place. And it wasn't a lot of love being 
uh, taught or exemplified. And so John is writing to them. He's saying, I'm going to tell you something. He said, if you're truly a child of God, there's going to be some things that are evident. There are three tests that you can have. And in chapter two, he describes all three of those tests obedience to the Lord, love for the believers, and belief in the right doctrine or the scripture or Jesus Christ. In chapter three, he treats only obedience and love. In chapter four, only belief and love. And now in chapter five, you get all three. Y'all remember that song? At least I remember a song as a child. If you're saved and you know it, clap your hands. If you're saved and you know it, stomp your feet. If you're saved and you know it, amen. If you're saved and you know it, do all three. Y'all remember how fun that was? Some people didn't have enough rhythm to do it, but it was fun. (laughs) Well, here John is saying, if you're saved, you're going to do all three of these things. It's going to show you're a Christian. Connie Schmotzer of Bellingham, Washington said, while driving my boys to swimming lessons, Michael, who's eight years old, saw a book my husband had left in the car. He picked it up and read the title. What's this book about? He asked. It's a book to help us become authentic Christians, I replied. And he said, oh yeah, mom, that's what we are, pathetic Christians. (laughs) If you were arrested, remember this statement? If you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? John says... If you're a child of God, there's enough evidence to convict you. Let's look at the evidence. A real Christian, first of all, has the correct conviction. Verse 1, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. The last part of verse 5, but who is he who believes? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. You ever had anybody say something like this? It doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. Do you know how dead wrong that is? A lot of people believe a lot of things and they can be sincerely wrong. Because here, John, first of all, tells us who to believe. Now, I want you to notice the word believe means to trust, to rely on. It's a present tense verb indicating that it's continuous action. I not only believed as a kid about 12 years old, I'm still believing in Jesus Christ. And people who believe who he is, they believe in Jesus, the man from Nazareth, the miracle worker, the great teacher. And he says, you believe in Jesus and only Jesus, not Peter, James, and John, not Paul or Jude, not Joseph Smith or Mohammed or Buddha, not even Mary. You believe in Jesus. Trust him completely. Adrian Rogers said, the assurance of my salvation does not come from the fact that I did trust Christ, but that I am trusting Christ for my salvation. He not only tells us who to believe, but what to believe. That Jesus is the Christ, the Hebrew Messiah. This statement embodies so much truth. Even in 1 John, in chapter 1, verse 1, it means he's the word of life. In chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, he's our advocate. 
and our atonement. In chapter 4, verse 2, he has come in the flesh. In chapter 4, verse 10, he's the propitiation for our sins. In chapter 4, verse 14, he is God's son. In chapter 4, verse 14, he's the savior of the world. Peter declared at Caesarea Philippi, Matthew 16, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. It's also said right here in chapter 5, verses 1 and 5. You see, belief in Jesus is not only mental, it's emotional, it's volitional, and it's even ethical. It involves the whole person. You don't just think, I know about Jesus. You put your life in his life. It's trusting all that you have with all that he is. Almost 44 years ago, in July it'll be 44, I stood on an altar at Park Hill Baptist Church in North Little Rock. I almost said Park Avenue, Park Hill (laughs) Baptist Church. I wasn't thinking about the church. And I stood with this lady right over here on the front row, Laura, and I made a commitment of my life to her. I didn't say to her, I'm going to give you part of my life. I said, I'm giving you my life. That's the kind of commitment that you make with Jesus. And then look what happens. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ, you've committed your life, is born of God. Born. Perfect tense, which means it happens at a time and the effects and consequences still are going on. And he alludes to the new birth being born of God. He uses that term three times in these five verses. Where do you think John got that idea about being born of God? I would imagine it came from John chapter 3 where Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. And what did he tell Nicodemus? You must be born again. And Nicodemus said, well, how can I enter into my mom's womb and be born again? And he said, I'm not talking about that. He's talking, he said, you must be born of his spirit. When you were born, you were born with a sinful nature. Nobody taught you to do wrong. You sinned against God and you separated yourself. And the scripture says that you died in your spirit which ultimately affects our thinking, which ultimately means we're going to die in our body. But Jesus came and conquered death. And when you trust Jesus, you believe in him, God puts his spirit in you and gives you life. Not religion. Gives you life. And being born of God and believing in Jesus are intertwined in the Bible and you can't separate it. Whenever you say, I've been born again, I've been born spiritually, Jesus has put life into me. I don't want to be morbid here for a moment, but I want you to think about, can you imagine dressing up a dead person and sitting them in a chair in church? I could run a long way with that. I didn't say they look dead. You can put all the religious clothes on a person you want. It won't help them. (laughs) They can listen to all the sermons. They wouldn't be listening, but you could preach all the sermons you wanted to a a, a corpse, but it it wouldn't help them. What they need is life. Paul 
talked about us being dead in our trespasses and sin in Ephesians chapter two, the finest religious clothes in the world, not going to help a dead person. What we need is new life. Peter exclaims that in 1 Peter 1, 3, when he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Ephesians 2, 4, Paul says, But God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trans- transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. Born of God looks at what God does. Believing in Jesus is man's response to the gospel. God does it all. God sent Jesus. God saves us. And in this new birth, God doesn't just give you a new name. He gives you a new nature. And don't miss the first word of chapter 5. Whoever, whoever means anyone, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter how far from God you have strayed, whoever means all of us. It means salvation is for everyone. No one is excluded. And the next, so the first evidence is you've got this conviction. Jesus Christ is my Savior. Jesus Christ is God's Son. Jesus Christ is God. And if you don't have that right conviction and not trusted your life with Him, you're not a real Christian. Second thing, a real Christian has a compassionate connection. It says in verse 1, when you love God, you're going to love his children. It also says in verse 2, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. If you have a Christian standard version, it says you'll love the parent. In NIV, it talks about loving the father. It refers to the heavenly father. When you say, well, I love God, I just don't like the church. That doesn't fit. Because when you love God, you're going to love the church. I'm not talking about the building. This is a church building. When you leave, the church building will be here, but the church will be gone. We are the church. We're the saved. We're the redeemed. We're the forgiven. And when you love God, you love his people. Sure, they've got warts. They've got all kinds of problems. They can be offensive. They can be mean. But you still love the church. It says everyone who loves the parent loves the children. And before you can love your brother or sister on earth, you may first make sure that you love the Father in heaven. You see, a lot of people say they love God, but they hate the church. It, it, that is an oxygen. That just doesn't fit. Yeah, I, I, would, I would dare say, I, I, I'm going to go out on a limb, that probably most everybody in here and watching me online has been offended by somebody in the church. Man. Am I right? Can I get an amen? amen? Then why are you still here? Because <laughs> a lot of people, they get offended. You know why you're here? Because you can't help it. 
You can't help it. If you have the Spirit of God living in you, you want to be with God's people, honoring God and worshiping Him. Now, I know that a lot of people watch online and a lot of people watch on television, but it's not like being right here with God's people, is it? We learned that during COVID. You love God's people. You love the saints. You forgive them. Some people don't ever think that it might do the saints good to see them every now and then. It's all about them. All about them. I don't have my needs met. I don't like those people. Those people offended me. I don't like this. I don't like this. You ever thought about anybody but yourself? You love God's people. You better learn to love them. You're going to spend eternity with them. God may put you in time out with that person you don't like. So you got 10,000 years to make up here. I know they're frustrating, and I know churches are frustrating. But just try to do without church for a while and see what happens to you. Your love for God grows cold. Oh, you don't know that? Yeah, I do. Because God's people help warm you back up a little bit. You'll also see that a real Christian has a conforming character. Just because people look good and can talk right doesn't mean they're the real thing. Several years ago in Long Beach, California, a fellow went into a fried chicken place and bought a couple of chicken dinners. For he and his date, the young woman at the counter mistakenly gave him not only his chicken dinners, but gave him the proceeds from the day, over $800. The man didn't think it. He just took a sack and he and his date went out to the beach or the picnic site and sat down to open the meal and enjoy some chicken. When he opened it, he found $800 in that sack. He put the $800 back in the bag. He got back in the car, drove all the way back, and he got out and walked in, became an instant hero. The manager, who by now was frantic, saw him, and the guy said, look, I I don't know how I got this, but I want you to know I came in for a couple of chicken dinners, and I wound up with all this money. This is your money, and gave it to him. Well, the manager said, this is so awesome. I'm going to call the newspaper. I'm going to have your picture put in the local newspaper. You're the most honest man I've heard of. To which he said, no, 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 don't do that. He leaned over closer to the manager and he said, you see, the the woman I'm with is not my wife. She's somebody else's wife. You see, you can look good in one place and not really be there. And the church is full of people who claim to believe one thing, but they live another way. Can you really say that you believe something if you're not willing to adjust your life to it? Authentic Christianity is evidenced by authentic living. Verse two says, when we love God and keep his commandments, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. Now that word keep, or obey 
is a nautical term. The sailors used it before they had GPS and radar. They used it, it meant to guide by the stars. They would steer their ship or direction by the stars. And God's commandments to us guide us and steer us in the way that we live. You want to do what God wants you to do. You see, love for God is not some emotional experience where you come in here and get all hyped up or you go to some emotional service and you just jump up and down and get all hyped up. Man, I love God. And then you go out and live like you don't know him. John says, look, you want to show that you love God? Be guided by his commandments. I'm pretty sure Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. John 14, 15. Now, two things about these commandments. First of all, God's commandments are a blessing. Oh, wait a minute now. By following God's commands, did you know he's actually protecting us? And trying to keep us from going down a difficult path. The secular culture says just the opposite. If you're going to be free, you need to get away from all those religious rules and those religious people. But God says, if you follow my ways, it'll save you from a lot of wounds, from a lot of misery. Life's hard enough following God's commands. Dallas Willard wrote the book called The Spirit of the Disciplines. And in it, he says, to depart from righteousness is to choose a life of crushing burdens, failures, and disappointments. A life caught in the toils of endless problems that are never really solved. They're a blessing. And we see, listen, we see the direction our world is going because they've quit letting God steer them. We've taken God out of the schools. We've taken prayer out of the schools. We've taken God out of the government. We've taken God out of society, out of life. And when you do that, you begin to redefine everything. You redefine marriage. God said it's between a husband, a man, and a wife, a woman. Period. You, you begin to see people living like they want. And doing, and then the and then the family begins to disintegrate, and then it's shown up in stuff like we're seeing. I wish someone one day that has the platform on all the media. would simply say, the problem in this nation is not racism. The problem in this nation is not guns. 
The problem in this nation is that people have turned their lives from God and their hearts are wicked. Our, our hearts are more wicked than we can conceive. You wonder why people are doing the things they're doing? Because the heart is wicked. And only thing that's going to change it is when people come to the Lord and start following God's ways. You can't legislate this kind of stuff. God's commands are to protect us. Jesus said, my burden is light. But not only that, let's, let's talk about that. God's commandments are not a burden. Now, some tend to think that God's commands are too burdensome. I've heard people say that church is all about rules, and if they become a Christian, they'll have to follow the rules. But, but John says his, his commandments are not Burdensome, which means grievous or irksome. The word refers to the trouble and annoyance one may have in carrying something that he does not have to carry. Now, when man gets a hold of what God says and he starts to add to it, then they become burdensome. And that's what the Pharisees were doing. Jesus said they put heavy burdens on people. The religious leaders of the time at that time would create rules for not breaking the rules. And Jesus accused them. He said, you're putting heavy legalistic burdens on people's backs. Why are God's commandments not burdensome? First of all, because you've been born again and you have a new nature and you have the power to obey them. You want to. God's commandments are not burdensome because they are commands of God, not of man. Now, man can make up some ridiculous stuff, but if you think about it, God hasn't really made up all that many. In fact, when free in Christ under grace, we have a lot of freedom. God's commands are not burdensome because Jesus himself said, my yoke is easy and my load is light, Matthew eleven thirty. 30. God's commands are not burdensome because they were given in a context of love. You parents, why did you not let your children play in a busy street? I want to play in the street. I want to ride my skateboard in the street. I want to ride my bike in the street. No, stay on the sidewalk. I want to ride it in the street. There's no cracks in the street. You might fall in a pothole and disappear, but there's no cracks in the street. But you see, you did that because you love your children. And an immature child may think that his father's command is too restrictive. And the reason that our Heavenly Father gives us those is because he knows what sin is going to do to damage us. And he knows what a mess we're going to wind up in. The reason God's commands are not burdensome lies in their character. They seem burdensome to the world. Now, you take people who don't want to have anything to do with God. All right, let's get rid of God. He's too burdensome. He, he's got too many rules. I don't want the Ten Commandments, and I don't want to see what God wants. And so, those who refuse to acknowledge Jesus Christ, all of these commands are a threat to their self-proclaimed freedom. I am free to do what I want. And so, people do 
things today that you and I cannot conceive of under the guise of freedom. There is no such thing as just doing whatever you want to do. It's amazing. If you read the Psalms, you hear the, the joy in the songs of people who've been redeemed, and they sing their song of joy doing the will of God. Let me read a few of them to you. Psalm 1.1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of the sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. Psalm 40, verse 8, I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. Psalm 112, 1, praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. Psalm 119, 16, I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Psalm 119, 24, your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. Psalm 119, 35, lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Verse 47 of Psalm 119, for I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. Verse 143, trouble and anguish have found me out, but your commandments are my delight. Psalm 119, 174, I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my Delight. Obeying God's commands can save your life. <laughs> the reason God gives us his commands is because he loves us. General Charles Duke was one of the men that got to walk on the moon in the Apollo 16 mission. He was asked later at a dinner engagement if while he was on the moon, he wished he could have stayed out longer or gone a little bit further than they let him. And he said he thought a lot about it and would have done it if he didn't want to get back to earth. He said everything about being on the moon and getting back to earth safely totally depended on his implicit and complete obedience to NASA. When he and the crew landed on the moon, they had 60 seconds worth of fuel left for takeoff. Everything was precise. They had to do exactly what they were told. Well, that's what God's trying to do. Look, I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to protect you. I'm trying to bless you. And we're always pushing against the fence. Henrietta Mears knew the true, secret of true freedom. She wanted to teach her students, and she was teaching some young people one day, and she said, a bird is free in the air, but you put a bird in the water, and he's lost his liberty. A fish is free in the water, but you leave him on the sand, and he perishes. He's out of his realm. So the Christian is free when he does the will of God and is obedient to God's command. This is as natural a realm for God's child as the water is for the fish or the air for the bird. In verse 1, a child of God presented as loving Jesus and loving other Christians. In verse 2, we're told he keeps or obeys God's commands. In verse 3, we're told that the keeping of God's commandments is a result of his love in us. And now in verse 4 and 5, we're told that if we're truly born of God, we're going to overcome the world. A real Christian has a conquering commitment. You'll see the word overcome three times. Sometimes it has the word victory. It's the same word. It's the word, the same word used for a Greek goddess, little g, not a real god, but a Greek god. Nike, 
The Romans' name for this same God was Victoria. Nike. That Greek goddess was the god of victory, speed, and strength. Means overcomer. Victory. Now, Nike, it's the same word. Only when I say that, you think of tennis shoes or other sports apparel. They took that same Greek word and call it Nike, but the the Greeks called that God Nike. Now, I want you to notice, look at verse 4. For whatever is born of God overcomes. That word is present tense Continuous action. Continuously overcomes the world. You look in chapter 2, the love of the, the, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. You continuously overcome temptation. But then it goes on to say, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. That was a perfect tense or actually an heirish participle, which means that at a point in time, you poured your life, you gave your life to Christ And then in verse 5, it says, and he, who is he who overcomes, present tense, who continually believes that Jesus is the Son of God. You walk in victory. Amen? Amen. I'm just about done, unless you don't amen. (laughs) The Denver Post, the Denver Post had this report. Like many sheep ranchers in the West, Lexi Lohler has tried just about everything to stop crafty coyotes from killing her sheep. She has used odor sprays, electric fences, and even scare coyotes. She has slept with her lambs during the summer and has placed battery-operated radios near them. She has corralled them at night, herded them at day, but the southern Montana rancher has lost Scores of lambs, 50 last year. Then she discovered the llama, the aggressive, funny looking, afraid of nothing llama. Llamas don't appear to be afraid of anything, she said. When they see something, they put their head up and walk straight toward it. That aggressive behavior, as far as a coyote is concerned, they won't have anything to do with it. Coyotes are opportunists, and llamas take that opportunity away. Apparently, llamas know the truth of what James writes, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Next time you see a llama, you're going to think differently, aren't you? (laughs) Verse 5 says that believers are a distant group, a distinct, not a distant, distinct group, excuse me, that are in the world, but we're not of the world. Are we perfect? No. But we march to the tune, or to the beat, I should say, of the Holy Spirit's drummer. The world is marching straight to hell. And we're going toward the Lord in the opposite direction. And you have the power in you to do it. 
John is telling his friends that that they have the victory because of their faith in the work of Jesus Christ. In this world, he said, you will have trouble. You'll have tribulation, but take heart, be of good cheer. I've overcome the world, John 16, 33. Have you been born again? A lot of religious people in the world, a lot of religious nuts in the world. Born again people, they pass the test. They love Jesus and only Jesus. They're obedient to Him. They love His Word. They love His people. That's how you can tell a real Christian. Just because a person went through a catechism or went through some class or was sprinkled as a baby, that doesn't make you a Christian. And a person that says, now, I, I, I know this is going to surprise you. I know I'm not God, and I know that, okay? So I don't know the hearts of all people. But I have a sneaking suspicion that John would tell somebody, say, well, you know, when I was in Bible school as a kid, I made a commitment to Christ. And they haven't talked about Christ or God or darkened the door of a church or done anything that even comes close to keeping God's commands. But they say, oh, no, but, but I was saved back there. Now, I am not God, and I don't know hearts of all people, but John would say, you know what? They probably need to take another look because the evidence is not there. I want you to know that God wants to save you. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. If you don't know Jesus, what are you waiting for? It's the free gift of salvation from God the Father. What are you waiting on? And if you are a Christian, take a look at the evidence there and say, well, you know what? You know, I I know that I need to be doing this or whatever. Don't make excuses for your sin. Don't make excuses for not liking the church. That's all it is, is excuses. Don't try to justify wrong. Holy Spirit won't let you do that. Would you pray with me? Lord, I pray for those who need Jesus. If they're watching online, If they're in this room, they've never been born again. Oh, they've been a church member or they were baptized, but they've never been given life. I pray, Father, that even now they would turn from their sin, coming to you in repentance, seeking your forgiveness, asking Christ to come into their life, and committing all that they have to you. I pray you'll give them courage to respond, to be unashamed. I pray for those that need to be baptized. Now that they've been saved, now that they've been born again, that's when you're baptized, Lord. I pray for those that need a church. Yeah, this is an perfect one, but it sure is a sweet place. And I pray for Christians who put 
all kinds of excuses for not being a part of the church. Lord, help them see through that. Help them to see that the church needs them too. Lord, I, I, I pray for those that have other burdens on their heart. Thank you for the assurance you give us of the life that lives in us. Would you quietly stand and would you keep your heads bowed?